Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. It is a good day. I hope you guys can see me up here. Again, we want to apologize for the the lighting uh, issues that we're having today. Not sure what's going on with that, but uh, you guys are all here, and uh, we just just going to move on, right? That's what we do. So uh, we are so glad that you guys are all here. And uh, if I'll tell you what, I woke up this morning uh, just knowing that this day was coming all week long, thinking about this, uh, this anniversary service. And sometimes it feels like this church has been around for a very long time. And other times it feels like it was just yesterday that we launched this church. And uh, it's just been incredible. So today, you know, it, it, it's been a very exciting ride. Uh, God has done great things um, and so today is really about, um, I posted on Facebook actually this morning before, before we started church, and I said, today is one of those days where you look back at all that God has done, you take stock of where you are, and then you look ahead and dream for the future all at the same time. And that's the beauty of these celebration days, these days where we just kind of stop and we, we think a little bit about what God has done, but we also want to think about what God has for us in the future. And on days like this, I think about about all the things that we've done. This morning before we started service, we had a countdown video that was made by our media department. Incredible job with that, just showing, showcasing all the things that we've done over the course of the last two years. And, and then that wonderful video there. It's important, I think, to remember um, what it is that God has done. You know, before I kind of get into the message, I, something that just came to me now was it, all throughout the Old Testament, God commanded his people to every so often, whenever he would do something in their life, he would tell them to, to build a memorial or a monument. And usually it had to do with a bunch of stones that they would, they would kind of stack up on top of each other. And there's a part of the scripture uh, where, it, where it says, and one day your children will ask you, father or mother, why are these stones here? And you'll be able to tell them, we put these stones here to remember what God had done and whatever that particular story was. And that's why it's important for us to take days like this, because it's just a day, right? It's just any other day. It's rainy. It's not very nice outside. But inside here, we're taking a moment to stack some stones and say, this is what God has done, and let's remember it and, and mark that day. And so this week, as I was thinking about the story of our church, um, I was reminded of a powerful story in the Bible in the Old Testament of a man named Nehemiah. Um, if any of you have ever heard the story of Nehemiah, uh, I felt like God had something to share with us today about the story of Nehemiah. So we're going to just jump right in. Uh, I assume you probably can't read your Bibles in here today, so uh, just go ahead and look on the screen. But we're going to learn about what Nehemiah had to say about us in 2016. Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. This is Nehemiah uh, speaking. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Pause. What we're doing right here is this book was written during the time of the exile, okay? So we had talked before about how the Jewish people um, were conquered by Babylon and were taken away to modern-day Iraq, Iran, that kind of an area. They were enslaved and brought there. Well, at this point of the story in the, in the history of the Israelite people, um, one of the kings there actually started to let it, a lot of them go back home, okay? So what we're seeing here 
is now, Nehemiah, is, is right in the middle of that space. And he said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity, about how things were going back in Jerusalem. And this is what he said to me in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. Judah was the southern part of Israel. <clears throat> they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Early the next morning, so we're going to keep going here in verse 5. Early the next morning, in the following spring, in the, sorry, not the next morning, in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so now we're just a few months later, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Nehemiah, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. But then I was terrified when I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are, bur- are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? So clearly Nehemiah has the favor of the king. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are with me or pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So, so begins the story of Nehemiah, who then returns back to Jerusalem. He makes this long, month-long journey from Iraq or Iran, that sort of area, all the way to what we now know as modern-day Israel. He makes his way to Jerusalem with letters that are actually signed by the king in the Persian Empire, giving him permission to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. So he goes there and he he begins to to, uh, gather people to his cause, the Jewish people who are living there, and they're living in pretty dire circumstances at this point. They've been released from captivity, but their city was destroyed. Back in those days, when uh, when a... um, an opposing force would come in, they wouldn't just come in and leave everything standing and then say, oh, please come with us. No, they would raise the city to the ground. They would destroy almost everything. They would burn everything, leaving them desolate so that nothing could be rebuilt. So even though the the king had some kindness in his heart to allow the Jewish people to return to their homeland, there really wasn't anything left, especially in the capital city of Jerusalem. So when Nehemiah goes back there, he weeps over what he has seen. God's holy city has been destroyed and razed to the ground. The walls have been torn down and the city gates have been burned, but he has permission from the king of the Persian empire to rebuild the walls and the city and the temple. So he begins to recruit people and ask them for their help. And people get excited because now they get to to begin doing something new and and begin a new chapter. And so they start working on this wall and they start taking the supplies from the king's royal forest and they had permission to do it. But we also see that opposition and threats mount against Nehemiah and the, and the construction crew and all these people. There, there are individuals who sort of, uh, we'll call them like kingpins or, or warlords, if you will, who have come in in the absence of the government of the Israeli government at the time, the Jewish people, who have sort of taken over pockets. Well, they don't want to see Israel rebuilt. They don't want to see that. So they're in opposition and they're trying to make threats against Nehemiah and the crew who are rebuilding. Even with the letters of authority from the king, they don't want that to happen. But the Nehemiah and his crew, they press on and they start to rebuild the temple. And in the end, with determination and passion and God's leading and blessing, they actually finished the entire wall surrounding the city in only 52 days. I mean, back then, that's a big deal. 
I mean, even today, it takes forever to build anything. Route 28, you know, like took years to rebuild 28. But, but the, the city wall of Jerusalem without bulldozers and backhoes and those types of things was rebuilt in 52 days. This was a huge and a monumental task. And it signified the return of a people to their God and to make him the priority in their lives. And once the wall wall was rebuilt, they held a special gathering in the city. And they read the law of Moses for the first time in a long time. Because the law of Moses was what we know as the Ten Commandments, right? That was the beginning of the Ten Commandments and all that. The, the law that we call the Torah, or the Jewish people call the Torah, is the first five books of the Bible, okay? It is the law that they were to live by. And so when they were taken into captivity publicly, that was pretty much the last time that they had, they had actually heard it read aloud to the people. That's about 80 years. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine not being able to go to church for 80 years? Could you imagine not being able to, to congregate as a body and be able to be encouraged as a people group? Can you imagine what that would be like? But now, once the walls have been rebuilt for the first time, Nehemiah and Ezra come together and they call all the people together who are in that area and they read the book of the law out loud for the first time. And this incredible moment happened and the people responded with great conviction and joy. So now we're going to fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, and we're going to continue the story here. So they read from the book of the law of God, and they clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. I love that, by the way. Because sometimes you go to church, I don't know if you ever felt this way, you go to church and they read a bunch of scriptures, and maybe you grew up in a place and you felt like you heard a lot of scripture, but you never fully knew what it meant. I love that it clearly says, and they explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. One of the things that we try to do here at Encounter Church is that exact thing. We want to read the scriptures, and we want to help you understand what it means. Verse 9, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people and telling them, hush, don't weep for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal and to share gifts of food to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. Why am I telling you this story today? It's because I believe that Encounter Church and the story of Nehemiah have a lot in common. I believe that what God has done here in the Nehemiah story mirrors what God has done in Encounter Church in this city. I believe that God has called Encounter Church into existence to rebuild the walls of his kingdom in this community in the city of Pittsburgh. When we were first called to plant this church, my wife and I, we were serving in a church in the south side. And God began to call us and show us a part of the city that he wanted us to plant this church. And as we did research and we found out about what the neighborhood of of Lawrenceville is like, and we've seen over the last four years that we've lived here, is that this community was once a vibrant spiritual place. 
that there were churches all over the place. And in the last few years, when we arrived here and started just building relationships and connecting with people, what we have found is that these once vibrant church buildings and communities, many of them have closed. And that the church has really lost much of its influence in this community. We even did a survey. When we first walked into the community and, as a group and we went out and started surveying people and asking them, hey, uh, you know, what advice would you give to a church, or a new church being planted in this community? What, what, what would you like to see? Or what would you? And you know what most people said? Don't bother. That's what most people said when we asked them what they would like to see from a church or what advice they would give to a new church being planted here. And what that told me on that day, I felt like God spoke to me and said, Jared, the influence that I once had, the walls that were here that my kingdom represented, the influence in the life that was once found because of my presence in this community has been torn down. And I don't know, you know, I'm not here to place blame or anything. What we are saying is that, that God has called us in this church into existence to rebuild the walls of his kingdom in this community and in this city. And so when I read the story of Nehemiah, I, I can't help but see things that, that, that are parallels between those two stories. We have a king in heaven who called us into existence and said, go, I'm giving you the keys, I'm giving you the resources. When we got here, God brought us people just like he brought Nehemiah to help rebuild. Many of you are sitting in the chairs this morning, have been a part of the rebuilding process. And two years ago, we opened the doors of this church. Two years today, on March 16, 2014, we completed the walls and to let everybody in the community know that we are here. And this was a monumental task as well. It was a red-letter day for this community. On that day... We served notice to the powers of darkness, and we proclaimed freedom in the name of Jesus Christ to every person living here. And today we celebrate our second year of kicking butt and taking names for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is what we are here for. Yes, give God the glory because he deserves his praise. Because, you know, we started a church not just so that we could, we could come on a Sunday morning and we could sing songs, not just so we could have pretty lights and, 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 you know, and, and have nice, comfortable chairs. No, we created a church so that the body of believers have a place to go so that we can encourage each other, so that we can build each other up, so that we can go out into the community and bring light into a dark place. And ever since we have started this church and opened the doors of this church, God has done incredible things. Some of the, just a few of them, what we saw in the video, just a couple of them are things that we have seen that God has done. There are people sitting in this room right now who have openly admitted that my faith was dry or my faith was stale, or I was in a place where I wasn't even sure what I thought about God. And now today they're serving. Some people are in leadership. People's lives have been changed. Relationships have been restored. I have seen marriages healed in this church because of what God has done here. Imagine what would have happened if this church hadn't been here. I mean, God is sovereign and does all kinds of things. But if we are disobedient and we don't do what God has asked, then opportunities are missed. And we are here today to say, God, we want to be exactly what you want, and we want to celebrate what God has done. It's incredible what God has done here. I love it. It is something to celebrate. Now, in the Scripture passage that we read a moment ago, there was an interesting thing that said that when the the book of the law was read, the people began to weep. What's that about? I mean, why were they crying when they read the word of God? It's because when they were presented with the words of God that was written for them, they realized that how far away they had drifted, how far away and how their lives were so skewed by darkness. But see, God's word and design for their life brought a conviction to their hearts. 
and it demanded change. And God's word does the same thing for us today. If we will preach the truth, when we preach the gospel message of Jesus, when we, when we teach people either here or in the streets or in our homes, what God's message is. And as, he, as we come across people, we will shine light and they begin to understand how far away from God that they really are. And that's what happened to these people who had been living in captivity for years. Many of them became somewhat integrated into the Babylonian lifestyle. They had fallen away from, from, from what, what God had designed for them. And when they read the book of the law, when they pulled it out and read it, they got dusted it off and they found this book. There was great rejoicing because they had discovered a treasure from their history. But they really didn't know what was inside of it. And when they opened it up and they read it aloud, the Bible says that the entire body of those people who were together, they began to weep because they realized, one, how much they had lost, but also because God's word convicted them. It spoke to them and challenged them that they had, that they had begun integrating into their society in ways that God never intended. But Nehemiah also called for a celebration that day because he could see that their hearts had changed and God wasn't done with them yet. And he told them to celebrate because God had done a great thing in their city that day. And they were now a part of what he was going to do in, in, in the city of Jerusalem. And the same thing is true for us at Encounter Church. We must have broken hearts for the lost. We must have broken hearts for the lost. We have to be a people who at, at every time we will celebrate what God has done. But also we must never forget that there are people in our city outside of the walls of this church, outside of God's kingdom, if you will, who are living in darkness, who are skewed and, and morphed by, by their habits, and they don't know any better. We must have a place where we are brokenhearted for them. We must never lose our heart for this city. We must allow it to drive us forward. We must allow our, 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 our reason to exist to push us forward always. That's why when we do these things like the big hunt, when we do our friends giving outreach, when we do our back to school bash, when we create programs in, in, in order to try to connect ourselves with people in our community, it's so important for us to always remember that we do those things, not so we can get people's butts in the chairs, but so that we can present the good news of Jesus to them. Because it doesn't matter if they come to church or not. What matters is a changed heart. It's a changed life. Yes, there's value in coming together as a body. Yes, absolutely. But what matters the most is a relationship with Jesus. So we must always keep that broken heart for the lost. We must always be seeking out the broken and the hurting and the lost in our community. But at the same time, as a church, we must always celebrate the victory. So we have to walk in both of these worlds at the same time. We must always keep a convicted heart, even personally, this is important. I believe this is a word for someone, including myself today, that we have got to keep a place of brokenness before God. That means that we have to allow God's word to speak to us personally. And sometimes there are things in our life that God wants to do in us that we have to allow him to say, Jared, this is wrong in your life. And you have to be willing to say, okay, God, I repent of that. You have to be willing to get to a place where you're willing to weep before God in a private place and apologize. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've missed this mark. I'm sorry that I have, I have sinned against you or I've rebelled against you willingly or openly or whatever it might be, or even in secret. I know you see all things, God. Break my heart for what I've done and how far away I still am, even though I have grace. Praise God for grace, Right? So we have to keep that place. We have to stay in a place where we're broken before God as a person and as a church. But at the same time, 
we must also always celebrate the victory that we already have. And this is what's wonderful. We're coming up on Easter, and I'm excited to share this. And this is a little tidbit of what I think I'm going to share on that Sunday, is that we already have the victory. I think half the time, as church, as Christians, we walk around feeling like the enemy, like Satan and his minions, have the ability to do something to us. They don't, because Jesus Christ defeated death. When we sing those songs on Sunday mornings, those songs that talk about how how death has been defeated, do we know what that means? Yeah, yeah, sure, we're going to die one day, but that's just our physical body. But there is absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to separate us from the love of God. And our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ because he rose from the grave. He is the only one who was ever ever able to do it under his own power. Jesus Christ gave us victory. So all the stuff that you read in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that crazy wild book that's full of all sorts of weird imagery, right? Like if you've ever read, read that book, it can inspire fear because it sounds like the end of the world is going to happen. But here's the deal. The entire book is about Jesus Christ coming back and setting everything right. We have the victory. And Nehemiah and his group rebuilt the walls of the city, And they had a victory in that day, and they were weeping because they realized how much destruction there was all around them. And they realized personally how far away they were from God's standard. And they were crying, but Nehemiah reminded them, no, you need to celebrate because this is a sacred day, a sacred day before God, because he is the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's incredible what God has done. So yes, there is, there, is, there is trouble. Yes, there is calamity. Yes, there is problems in our personal lives, in our city, in our community. Just, over, just this week, there were, I think there was a party where five people were murdered at a party. Horrible things take place all around us. And it is so easy for us to feel like, are we doing any good? You know, is the church of Jesus Christ doing anything to, to push back the walls of darkness? And Nehemiah reminded his people, and God is reminding us today, yes, because you have to see what God has already done. And the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That is not a defensive position. The Greek in that passage, when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, is is an offensive verb. What it's saying is that the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, will expand one life at a time. As you and as I go out into our communities and we share the love of Jesus Christ with people, we are expanding the kingdom. Every time we serve another person, we're shedding God's light in a dark place. Every time we do that, we are offensively pushing and expanding the kingdom of God forward. And as we do that, the gates of Hades, of hell, the powers of darkness cannot stand against the expanding kingdom of God. That's powerful. We have to walk with that authority in our lives. We are here to celebrate. That's why we always sing, death, where is your sting? Death has been defeated because there is no fear for us. Even if we are killed, even if we are crushed or persecuted, the Bible says, we have the ultimate hope and the ultimate victory. They can take our lives, but they cannot take eternity away from us. We are secure. We have the glorious power of God living inside of us. We must celebrate that. We must take stock of where we are right now in this beautiful building, in this place that God has blessed us with to be able to share the good news. We live in a place of freedom, a country of freedom where we can share what Jesus has done for us. We have the freedom to to go out and to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. And we have to remember the changed lives. 
We have to remember the salvations. We've had probably about 50 people come to know Jesus through the course of our existence. Many people are at other churches. We have people come here all the time. You know, you ever wonder why we don't, we, we don't do a whole lot of like, like, like raising your hands kind of thing? Because, because we're more interested in making disciples. So when we, at, sometimes at the end of services, we want to give people specific opportunities to know who Jesus is. And we're always pushing people to that. But it's not about the number of how many people like raise their hand and then go back to their life. We are more interested in helping people come out of their darkness. And so when we, we, we want to celebrate the salvations because that means that people began a journey, but we want to celebrate all of it. So we're grateful for the salvations. We're grateful for our baptisms. We're going to be doing more of those this year. We're excited to, to be able to have people take that personal step, that outward step to, to go underwater and come up and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm yours. We have to remember we've had people in our church do that. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered from addictions. We've seen chains broken off. We've seen relationships restored. We have to remember and celebrate what God has done. We're celebrating our two-year anniversary today. Our two-year anniversary. And we want to worship God. We want to praise God because he has rebuilt the walls of his kingdom. Now, I'm not trying to magnify the presence of Encounter Church in this community because I know there are other churches here. But I don't think it would be right of us to also underestimate the task that God has put before us and to celebrate it. Because we have done great things. We haven't done anything better than anyone else, but God is proud of us because we did what he asked. I always think about that. I've been pretty honest with you over the last two years about my struggle as a, as a man, about how you know I, I tend to have big dreams and big expectations and in the first year of our church, I struggled a lot with the idea of, of expectations, of feeling like we were going to come in here and we were going to like be the biggest thing in town and that people were going to know Jesus. And we've seen that. But we're a small church. And, and here's what God has, has, has said to me. Because there was that passage of Scripture where Jesus paints this picture and he says, he says, when you get to heaven, one day the king is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think I forgot about that. And as I think about the story of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah just wept when he saw the state of his city and the walls, and he felt a responsibility to do something, and he went and he did something, and he rebuilt those walls so that God could have his influence again in his land. And when I think about my life, when I think about you, for those of you who are with us from the beginning, who knew that we were starting something brand new, we did the same thing. We knew there was a responsibility, a responsibility to bring the light of Jesus Christ to a people who had forgotten about him or who the walls had been crumbled, at least in sections. And by us starting this church, by being here, we have done what God has asked us to do. And I've come to a place, and I hope you do too, that if for whatever reason we were to end our lives today and go before the Lord I have confidence that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done what I've asked you to do. You've created a lighthouse in a dark place. That's not to say, again, I'm not trying to paint this picture like this community or this city is like the bastion of evil. What I am trying to say is that any person apart from Jesus Christ is living in lost darkness and they're grasping at anything they can. You know what it's like before you found Jesus. That's why Jesus uses the imagery of his church being like a city on a hill. 
You know? That's what we want to be. We don't have to be the biggest boy in the block. But you know, we're like the little engine that could. You know? Like people ask, we tell them all the time, like we have our egg hunt. We have 1,000 people come to our Easter egg hunt. A little church of 50 people, 60 people can do a, 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 an Easter egg hunt with 15,000 eggs and 30,000 pieces of candy. That 1,000 people come to, and we do a back-to-school bash where we give away 400 backpacks filled with school supplies last year. But that's not to, like, blow our own horn or anything, but all of that is in a place so that we can say, look what God has done. Look what he has done. He has empowered us to be a bastion of hope. And, you know, year after year, we keep going to these places and we see the same faces at all those events. And those people come and they say, thank you so much. And someone might wonder, well, why don't they come to church? I don't know, because they're not ready yet. But they know we're here. They know we're here. We had a guy last weekend, I love this. Heather told me this story. We had a guy last weekend who walked up and asked for a program right outside the Sunday morning. Walked up front and asked for a program and said, hey, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I think about God. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm just kind of been seeking. I'm, I'm not sure where I wanted, what I want to do yet, but I've heard about you. I've heard about Encounter. I've seen your signs. Some of my friends have told me about your church, and I don't know who this guy is. And he said, I don't know if I'm ready to come yet, but, but I just wanted to check it out. So we gave him a program, told him to go check out our website. My point in telling you that story is that we have 1,000 people that come to our Easter egg hunt and another 800 who came to our back-to-school bash, and most of them have been coming a couple years in a row. And I think every one of them represents this guy, or this guy represents every one of them. They know we're here. They're seeking. God is working on them. The situation of their lives, whatever is going on in their life, God is slowly pulling them back into a relationship with him, or maybe even for the first time. And one day, one day our door is going to be wide open and they're going to come, and they're going to experience what they've been searching for maybe for years. That is what we're celebrating today. Just, we've rebuilt the walls. And for two years, we've been just saying, God, use us any way we can. We will always remain brokenhearted for the lost. It needs to be a priority in our lives. But we will celebrate every day. We will always take stock of what God has done. We will remember, we will set up monuments and say, we will remember this day because of what God has done in our lives, in the lives of those around us. Every single person in these chairs represents a life that has been changed or transformed in some way by experiencing the presence of God in their life because of Encounter Church. So we will celebrate. But we will move forward. So I want to close with this. Galatians chapter 6, 9. I want to encourage you. Paul is saying, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Our job is not done. We must push farther. We must push deeper. As we proclaim the truth, the influence of God's kingdom expands. We must recommit ourselves to the mission. And this year, our focus is these three E's that we see at our church. We want to experience God. We want to give, place, give people a place to come and experience a God that is alive. People, people are looking for something true, something authentic. And we want them to have it. The lights don't work, no problem. God is alive and he can meet them. We want to give people a place to explore 
faith. I loved what, what Christian said in our, on that video. It gave him a place to explore his faith in a safe environment. And that's what we want. We want that guy who came last week and got a program to know that even if he decides to come next Sunday and isn't sure what he thinks yet, that he's okay to sit here and hear and just let God speak to him. And we'll just love him. We want to create a place for that. And we want to create a place to express it publicly and personally. Like what God has done, we want to encourage you to express that outwardly in this church and beyond so that people can know Jesus and experience what you have. And so the last thing is this, is that Nehemiah instructed his people to party. He instructed them to celebrate. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party. And right after service today, in just a moment, we're having an after party. We're going to take literally what God's word said is that we are going to recognize what God has done and we're going to celebrate and we're going to party hard. So today, right after service, we're going to have, we're just going to close in prayer in just a moment. And we're going to just have some pizza and we're going to have some cake and we're going to have some candy. We're going to show a movie and feel free to just mingle and hang out. And then at one o'clock, we're taking a very big step as a church today. Most of you know we were planted by Allison Park Church in the North Hills. Well, today is the day that as, as adult church, we get to move out and get our own apartment, if you will, right? So what I mean by that is we'll become with a sovereign church. We'll no longer be a parent-affiliated church. Today, we are taking a step of being an independent church. That's a big deal. Most of it won't change from the outside, but it's internal stuff like a board and things. So if you're a Dream Team member, please stick around for that. It's at one o'clock. It'll be right here. We need you to sign the membership roster. That's part of that official step there. So today as we celebrate our two-year anniversary, we're going to follow the example that we see in Scripture. Let's allow ourselves to feel the sadness and longing of God's heart for the people who are broken and hurting and who knew Jesus. But let's also party Because we are here and God has created a place for them to come and find healing and true life. And so while we do this today, as we're celebrating, let's lift a glass and let's toast to those who are yet with us. As we celebrate, let's remember for those who are not yet here. Let us not grow tired and weary of doing good for we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let's keep going in counter church. Let's make year three the best yet. Would you pray with me? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, you are great. You're worthy of praise. You've done incredible work here. I'm so grateful to be be part of this thing that you're doing. It's so much bigger than Encounter Church. It's so much bigger than Lawrenceville. It's so much bigger than even Pittsburgh or our own country. God, what you are doing around this world, all throughout the universe, you are expanding your goodness expanding your love, your freedom. And as we move forward to the realization of the victory that you have already won on the cross through your son, Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. Thank you, God. We turn our our faces towards heaven and we just lift our voices to you. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the lives that have been changed through a relationship with Jesus. 
thank you for the people who have come into your kingdom. Thank you for the resources you have got, that you have given us and brought us. Thank you for every person who has partnered to rebuild the walls or to repair the walls of your kingdom in this community. God, thank you for every church that exists in this city to expand the kingdom of God. And so, God, today we just consecrate ourselves. We set ourselves apart now, and we say to you, God, may we have broken hearts for the people who still need to know you. And at the same time, we will lift our voices and we will celebrate in victory because of what you have done, that death is defeated, and that we have ultimate victory and power over the enemy. So as we move from this place today after we celebrate, God, we pray that you would give us power, that you would give us excitement and energy, that we would be willing to share the good news of Jesus and the hope and life of what you have done inside of us with all those people we come in contact with. God, have your way in this church. We don't, want, we don't want big things. We want your things. So empower us to do what you've asked us to do. And let us rest in knowing that you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. Thank you, God, for what you've done. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.